Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see you guys. Amen. Amen. Glad to see everybody. <laughs> so you guys are just gluttons for punishment. <laughs> Those who came back, thanks, thanks for coming back. And new folks, uh, thanks for coming. Um, um, we're going to start out very similar to, to the way we started yesterday. Um, and we're going to do, we're going to try to review everything we did yesterday in, in about five minutes. And then we're going to jump back in. Um, <laughs> at, there were some great conversations after yesterday. Um, I'm sorry if I scared some of you guys. <laughs> well, sorry, not sorry, but yeah. <laughs> Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, um, this awesome opportunity to uh, come together to look into your word. Um, help us to build fellowship, friendship, and unity as you have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we were going to be talking about dysfunctionality, denominationalism, division, and dirty bathwater, our race, religion, and relationship problem, and a way forward. Uh, <laughs> some pre stuff from yesterday. Um, this is what we tried to do. Um, I said that we have more, more questions than answers. We're going to have conversations. Um, we're going to move around a little bit, trying to inspire thinking and actions. Um, and I love you with an imperfect love. I'm doing the best I can. I hope you're doing the best you can. And ain't no way we're going to finish. And I still feel that way. But we got pretty far yesterday. Amen. Amen. Here's the two-day plan. Um, we started out, we developed a platform yesterday in Ecclesiastes 4. Um, then we started discussing problems. And that's where we were yesterday. And, and this is always the hardest part. Because uh, a lot of times we just want to ignore that there is a problem. Uh, yeah. And so I, I <laughs> some of my friends were just laughing. They're like, you know, at first we were in the groups, we were all talking and it was all fun. And then, then all, after the first question, we were all right. And then the second question was like, <laughs> and that's all right. It is. That's all right. That's all right. Remember, we're, we're really not trying to, 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 to solve anything today, but we want to start our minds to thinking and start discussions. Amen? Amen. Then we're going to try to devise a plan. Uh, <laughs> we should get there, uh, and we're going to try to devote some time to prayer and praise at the very, very end. All right. Um, we, we looked at a biblical foundation, and we're going to ask you to stand one more time as we read Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I read it myself yesterday. Um, today, we're going to read it together. Um, let's start together. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And just like yesterday, I want you to turn and look somebody right in the eye and tell them, I need you. Yeah, now you yeah, tell them again, I need you. Look at them again and say, no, for real. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> Wait a minute and tell them. And guess what? You need me too. <laughs> you may be seated. Amen. Amen. We looked at the story of the Lone Ranger a little bit yesterday. I know we're flying through, but we're just trying to bring everybody up to, to where we were. Um, we kind of unpacked the, the Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 yesterday in two simple uh, points and, and several subpoints. First of all, together we prosper. We looked at the simple principle that two are better than one. Um, that that uh, Solomon in, in the Ecclesiastes writer, uh, he, he, he just says two are better than one. He didn't try to, to explain it. He didn't deal with all the problems with that statement, i.e., sometimes when there's somebody with you, they betray you, etc. His point is, is regardless, two is better than one. And to uh, ignore that uh, principle is to ignore prosperity and protection. Um, on yesterday, we said um, Ecclesiastes is more the sermon 
whereas Proverbs, more Sunday school. Um, Proverbs, um, uh, Solomon is giving more discipleship and kind of telling you, you know, these are wise things you ought to be about. Um, Ecclesiastes, he comes and he gives a sermon. Um, he's like most preachers. He's preaching about stuff he couldn't do himself. <laughs> and so he says, you know, I told you all this wise stuff to do. Let me show you how I didn't do any of it. It's all vanity. Um, but then in the middle of this, this sermon, this homily, um, um, the Ecclesiastes writers um, juxtaposed between two, two uh, 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 sections of text that talk about selfishness and self-interest. He says two is better than one. And so that's the principle. Togetherness produces success by dividing the work and multiplying production. Um, together we are protected. Um, first of all, we talked about protection when our fall comes. Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one falls, you'll have somebody to help you up. It's, it's bad when you fall and there's nobody to help you up. And it's very interesting, something I did not say yesterday in my introductory statement. Um, if you will notice, even in the ministry of Jesus, after Jesus um, uh, finished getting his commissioning from God, um, after he was put on mission, the first thing Jesus does is go and get him a squad. He gets him a team, a small group, or however you want to say it. The first thing he does, he starts recruiting people to help him out. And now, if, if the Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Alpha and Omega, Lily of the Valley, et cetera, et cetera, if he needs a team, if he needs help, on what planet don't you need help? And that's kind of the point here, that, that, that we were not made to, to be by ourselves. We, we need to be helping one another. And so, with this, you have help. Togetherness prevents slipping. Um, don't get caught slipping. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. Protection, when our freeze comes, sometimes things are cold and you need the warmth of, of human companionship. Protection, when our fight comes. Um, we said, now, one man, you know, you, you might get beat up, but if you have somebody to help you out, you can withstand him. And, and, and a threefold cord is even better. You know, two is better than one, and three is better than two. We're vulnerable when alone. We're vulnerable when alone. We, we talked about the, the, uh, the cultural context of this idea um, of robbers, et cetera, yesterday. Um, we're not going to go into all of that today. Just by review, we're vulnerable when we're alone. Character counts in a fight. I will re remind you of what we talked about. We talked about character counts. Remember, we looked at two gentlemen. We looked at um, Thomas and we looked at Judas, both disciples of Jesus Christ, both with, with some shaky reputation, even in scripture. Um, the difference between the two is character. Um, we, we first, we talked about Judas. Judas, when the stress got on, when things got bad, when things got tough, Judas chose Judas. Thomas, though, called doubting Thomas, and we talked about this yesterday. I don't really know if he was really doubting Thomas. He was really probably more pessimistic <laughs> Thomas. Um, uh, you know, when, 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 when Jesus said, you know, well, you know, um, we got to go into Jerusalem. We're going to die. Thomas disagreed. He's like, dude, I don't know if that's a good, good uh, <laughs> I don't think that's the right plan. But Thomas like, but if we're going, I'm down. Then we're just going to go die together. If we're going to go, because see, that was character. And then even at the end, um, um, at, when, you know, at the end after the resurrection, you know, when Thomas had missed night service. <laughs> uh, uh, the disciples, you know, Jesus came to night service, you know, because that's when Jesus comes. <laughs> Jesus came to night service and, and he had shown them the holes in his hands and where the pierce, he was pierced in the side and, and they were all pumped up. You know, did you see Jesus came, blah, blah, Jesus, how we saw those. And Thomas was like, sure you did. Thomas was like, I tell you what, if I can put my finger in the hole, my hand in the side, then I'll believe. And people said he was doubting Jesus. Thomas wasn't doubting Jesus. He was doubting them, like many of us would have, right? But the problem was, when, the, when things got rough, Thomas didn't choose Thomas. Thomas chose Jesus. And we need to try to surround our people, ourselves with people like that, with people like that. We talked about the depth 
of the relationship on yesterday. Again, we can't go dive into all of it. We talked about the depth of relationship, how the relationship in Jesus Christ transcends all other relationships. But not only that, how it is more than just about our preferences, our likes, our commonalities, our common interests. None of those, as a matter of fact, in Christ, you don't even have to like one another. You don't have to have anything in common because this, this purposeful idea, this purposeful idea of two being better than one, this purposeful idea of, of God doing something through us transcends those, and we need one another to do that. It's deeper than race. It's different. It's deeper than, than region. It's, it's, it's even deeper um, than our religious differences. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about um, religious differences outside of Christ. I'm saying in Christ, we're going to have some liturgical differences, some differences. And I told you yesterday, I'm that old school guy, you know, I'm Church of Christ on the, on, the, on the building, you know, acapella music. I'm that dude. But there's things that are deeper than that stuff. You, you know, I mean, we, we need to, to learn that, you know, folks are literally, and we, this is an old school Church of Christ thing. If you don't like it, well, this is who I am. There are folks dying and going to hell. That is a fact. Folk missing heaven because we fussing about stuff. Because we can't get it together enough to fulfill the mission. And so this idea that, that we need to have our character right is important. And then we talked about we're victorious together, how we can prevail together. We talked about the threefold chord. <laughs> then we got into groups. That was awesome. Well, we were in the discussion phase. Um, I'm not a person uh, who wants to, to come off as the expert. Um, I, I teach folks all the time, many of them significantly smarter than I. Um, and, and I'm all right with that. We got three or four people in here I already know. I mean, it's probably more than that, but at least three or four people in here that I know are smarter than me. But it's irrelevant because we can discuss together and we can come to some conclusions together um, if we work together. And so first we talked about dysfunctionality. We gave a, a simple definition of dysfunctionality, abnormal or unhealthy interpersonal behavior or interaction within a group um, or family, a family having dysfunction. Then we talked about black families. I mean, we used this, um, not really, believe it or not, we weren't really using this as, as race, we were using this as a metaphor for dysfunctionality. Um, and when we looked at it, we looked at, all, we looked at eight characteristics of dysfunctional families. And please don't get mad at me. Somebody yesterday came to me, you know you were going really fast yesterday? I didn't get to write all this stuff down. Well, you know, it's not mine. You can, like, Google it. <laughs> It'll come up. But if you want it, I'm more than happy. If you just email me or hit me up on Facebook, I'm more than happy to send you this entire PowerPoint presentation. I was at a presentation with Rick Warren. Rick Warren said, uh, the first, thing I, first, the first time I say something, oh, for the first time you use something I say, he, say, he said, say, I heard Rick Warren say this. He said, the second time you use something I say, he said, you know, I heard somewhere. He said, the third time, he said, say, you know, I was praying to the Lord. <laughs> so anything I use, just use it. It's for the kingdom's sake, just use it. If it's bad, throw it out. If it's good, use it. I don't need the credit. I got big enough head on, on my own. I don't need to be pumped up. Amen. Amen. I mean, we looked at, took a look at my family. That's me and my mom. That's me. <laughs> me and my mom and my dad. <laughs> me and my brother. <laughs> my mom and my dad. My sister's at it now. Um, we looked at me back in the 80s with my brother. Uh, me and my beautiful wife. Uh, us dating. Us getting married, yes. Us very close to now, 30 years later. Look at our fine self. Oh my God, look at that right there. <laughs> Me and my kids, then we had kids. We talked about how our kids grew up, how they're grown now, how they're going toward marriage, how they're married, and how I have a grandson. Aww. <laughs> And we use this as a metaphor, though, because I said these same things. Uh, we, we, we say, well, well, black families are dysfunctional. And I posit to you that black families aren't any more dysfunctional than anybody else. 
I said, my family, I don't feel it was dysfunctional. We had some problems. Sure, we had some problems. My dad was alcoholic. Amen. I had, had depression issues. All, but I, if you start thinking about it, doesn't your family have some problems? Does that make all white families or all Korean families? You see, it, it just, it's ridiculous. The reason, the problem is um, we get out of control of the narrative. Somebody else starts to control the narrative. Somebody else starts to control the narrative, and all of a sudden, a whole group of people are, are seen as something. And I'm making a point here. Don't worry. Um, one of the things in my house is what happened in this house better stay in this house. You don't broadcast all of our dirt everywhere. Then we started bringing it closer to home. We talked about husbands and wives. Dave was with us yesterday, and I asked Dave to stand up. And, and Dave uh, uh, looked at us, and he said, well, you know, uh, I asked him about his wife. I asked him, was his wife perfect? Dave said, no. I said, well, can I take your imperfections, the imperfections of your wife and tell everybody? Can I blast it on Facebook? Can I tweet about all the imperfections of your wife? Is it all right if I share um, uh, on Instagram all the problems your wife is having? Can I gossip about your wife? Um, can I write letters and send them everywhere about how horrible your wife is? He's like, no, absolutely not. I said, do we have a problem if I do it? He said, yes. Then I asked this question. Why then do we think it's all right to do that to the bride of Christ? How does Jesus feel about us uh, having this narrative running? Uh, and it's the same way that black folks sometimes feel about when folks, every time, anytime a black folk person does anything negatively, is every black person. <laughs> we got in groups, and that's where we stopped. <laughs> this question, we did all right with. What negative narratives have you heard about African-American families? Uh, we kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit. But we were all right. We, we talked about it a little bit. Now, this question, what negative narratives have you repeated about African Americans? It was like, <laughs> yeah, You could hear a mouse peeing on cotton. <laughs> this was our next question we were supposed to start in on today. What negative narratives have you heard about non-African American families? Um, um, and what I want to do is I want to just do a general holla out. I'm going to put you in some groups later, but let's do a, just a general holla out. What negative narratives have you heard about non-African American families? They could be white, they could be Japanese, they could be whatever. Have you heard any negative narratives about those families? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. She talked about the macho culture in, in Latino uh, I, I used to teach with a young lady, I won't tell you her name, um, but she, she was a, a, a Hispanic, uh, she was a Mexican lady, and she said to me, she won't even date Mexican guys anymore. Not that she's not attracted to them. She said, but this macho thing, I'm just done with it. Any others? Yes. Cowboys, really? That's very interesting. I never heard that. <laughs> right. Really? Is that right? Anybody else do it? Really? That's very interesting. I was in a I was doing a talk, podcast with a friend of mine yesterday, Luke Northworthy, and um, we talked about cultural differences, and he talked about uh, the, you know, the the mic that goes right here, and he said. He said, that's the, 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 the cowboy mic or something like that. I'm like, really? He said, because of Bro Garth Brooks, et cetera. And then this, because the, the young lady who was with a really sharp lady, what was her name? Uh, her last name was Wyckoff. Super sharp, sharp lady. But anyway, um, uh, she was saying, well, we, we had called it the Britney Spears mic. I'm like, really? We all, well, you called it the and we called it, so you're a little, you're a little, we called it, the Janet Jackson, give me a beat, Mike. Because <laughs> it's cultural. Any, any others? Can, can we have one or two more maybe that, that yes, yes, ma'am. Oh, wow. Wow, did everybody hear that? She said, she said, like, like grandparents, um, you know, the older folks, um, 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 you know, grandparents or great, great grandparents, they might have lived as racist, 
And now when you hear them talk, she said, like this old 50-year-old white male, <laughs> like 50 is ancient. <laughs> but she said, she said, but she said it, it becomes uncomfortable because you don't agree with even how he's speaking. That's very interesting. Can we have one more? Oh, okay, we got three more. One, two, three. Then we'll move on. Yes. They're all illegal. They're going to take everything we have. And that is a narrative. I have a friend who used to live across the street from me, a Mexican guy. And uh, excuse my language, y'all. Um, he said, yeah, man, I'm tired of these wetbacks. He's a Mexican guy. But his family is American. They've been here for generations. I mean, I'm like, I'm, and I'm thinking, like, dude, why would you even say that? Well, because somebody else is controlling the narrative. <laughs> and so, and that's the narrative he be, he's been given. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> right. Come on with it. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> One last person, right? Yes. White privilege. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I, <laughs> I'm not dealing too much with white privilege today. Um, <laughs> a little bit in the end, it'll, it'll come up because it, it's going to be a part of the, if we got, if we got to work on a plan, we got to deal with that. But, but absolutely, 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 absolutely. I, I, I <laughs> white privilege is real. White privilege is real. And, and, and folks say, well, you know, I'm not racist, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, I, you know, you, you're probably not. Um, I was talking to a guy yesterday about systems. I said, when you're under a system, it's like this. You're a rock or a boulder at the bottom of the ocean that needs to get dry. What someone does for you is gives you a towel and says, dry yourself off. When you can't dry yourself off, what do they do? They give you another towel. That's how white privilege is. You say, well, well you know, hey, I, I, I'm not racist. Well, you're, you're, you're in the bottom of the ocean. You, you, you're in a system that no matter, it affects you. I want to give you a little tidbit about me, and I'm not all black folks, so don't take this as every black person saying it. Um, <laughs> this is kind of how I feel. I'm, I'm one of those persons, I don't have a whole lot of problem with, with white privilege. My biggest problem with white privilege is this is that people will not admit it, and secondly, they'll use it negatively to affect me. Listen, everybody walks in some kind of privilege someplace. Yeah, Dr. Holmes talking right now. Dr. Holmes, one of the smartest guys I know. He can go places I can't go. He does, he's positioned in a way that I can't go there because of who he is. I can't go there. He has privileges I will never have. Now, the problem comes when Dr. Holmes then starts to use his position as a power and a hammer against me. That's a problem. And some folks say, you know what? Okay, now if, if you know, white folks got money, got more money than y'all. My daddy got money, my daddy's daddy had money, y'all don't. I can buy stuff you can't buy. I'm cool with that. My problem is when all of a sudden someone decides to block me from being able to do things I need to do. Now, I'm not all black folks. You could ask, there's some other black folks in here, at least one or two. <laughs> and they would have a completely, <laughs> and they would have a completely different point on that than I. 
There's some black folk in here that don't know they're black. I'll let that sit there. Let me move on there, right? Uh, <laughs> um, let me, let me, um, let me talk to you a little bit. I want to, I want to read a little something to you. The church has been repositioned from a cause worth living and dying for to a crutch discarded or picked up based on personal wellness levels or a convenience to be enjoyed or tolerated based on political, social, familial, or spiritual advantages. But the king has not repositioned the kingdom. There are many non-citizens and spies and interlopers who are masquerading as citizens of the kingdom who are simply pimping the church for personal gain. But the king has not repositioned the kingdom. The kingdom is still only for those who died to themselves and died for the cause. Many erroneously believe that sitting in a pew makes them a citizen of the kingdom. But it no more makes them a, a kingdom citizen than spitting in the air makes a person a rain cloud. God created us to be dependent both on him and on one another. Jerry Bridges said that. Our dysfunctional obsession with independence is symptomatic of our spiritual lack and the dominance of our carnality. The fact is we need God. The fact is we also need one another. I don't care how many infantile tantrums we throw, how frantically we stomp our feet, or how much we lie on our backs with our legs and arms flailing like an egg beater as we scream, I don't need nobody but myself. We need one another. No amount of impotent gyrations will change that. Sometimes we forget that. And we say, well, you know what? Um, we just, can our leaders fix it? Well, we forget that just because people are in leadership positions, it doesn't mean they're actually leaders. You know a, fact, a leader, not by position, but by the fact that he leads. Leaders get frustrated sitting around discussing the reasons things can't happen. The reason this didn't happen because somebody said X, Y, Z the wrong way or somebody was black or somebody was white or, or whatever. Leaders get tired of getting blamed for a lack of forward motion because certain leaders are in leadership positions but aren't actually leaders. Who sit around talking about what we should do, what we could do, what we would do, what we used to do, what we might do instead of actually doing anything. The church seems infested with people who are actually managers sitting in the seat of leaders. Managers need to learn to manage and get out of the way and let leaders lead. We can't go forward in this level of dysfunctionality without those whom God has called to take us to the higher level, being able to do that. Rick Warren once said, where God guides, God provides. And I'm inclined to agree. Holding a position doesn't make a person a leader any more than dribbling a basketball makes a person Kobe Bryant. It's time for leaders to stop being scared. I say it's time for leaders to stop being scared. I say it's time for us to stop making excuses as leaders. Stop being afraid because our dysfunctionality is killing us. I read somewhere here recently that, that our movement has been on a 30-year decline. 30 years. We're, we're on extinction-level paths. I'm not a prophet of doom. The church belongs to God. I, I'm told, so I'm not there. I'm not saying what God can't do. I'm just looking at the trend. And I'm saying God may be asking us to stand up and make some choices that we haven't made before. Allow managers to manage. Allow leaders to lead. Wherever you fit in that, in that, in that thing, lead. I believe our unity problem is the fact that we have a spirit of dominance and a fear in the body. I mean, I think we are more afraid of agreeing on what we agree on. For some dysfunctional reason, we feel the need to force submission on areas, on our areas of disagreement. If I disagree with you, I, mean, I need to dominate you and, and, and force you to agree with me as opposed to saying, what can we do? Our plea seems to have become indoctrinate agree with me on every minute point, no matter how silly. In opinion, I'll tell you what yours is. And in all things, 
do what I tell you to do or I'll write letters on you, put you on Facebook, shame you on Instagram, and tell you until your children's 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 children are in tears. Is it possible we can't come together because we are diligently striving to find reasons to define those who ain't more than endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace than I am? Is it possible the reason we can't get together is because we're more committed to our, our solitary movement of our own selfness than on the unity of God? Is it possible that the simple principle we've been talking about um, over the last um, session and a half is really not resonating with us because we're too afraid that if two are better than one, I will not be in the dominant position? So I want to say, um, keep praying. The storm is not past. Keep praying the fight isn't over. This church thing is worth fighting for. I told everybody on yesterday, I'm from the old church. What I think was the great church. Not great meaning it's the greatest it's going to ever be. I'm saying it was a great church for me. So I'm intimately connected to the churches of Christ. I would have been a gangbanger, hurting people, had it not been for this church. God used this church to save me from myself and from the enemy. So I'm intimately connected to it. So I think it's worth fighting for. I think we need to swing, punch, kick, duck, block, grapple, stab, bite, wrestle, attack, knee, elbow, bob and weave, left, hook, suplex. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Rope a dope, weep, mourn, persevere, resist, revolt, hang in there, believe, obey, trust, hug it out. Whatever we need to do, we need to do it. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Don't quit. Don't believe the seduction of the dark. Keep praying. God is moving. We in our human mind may not see God moving, but God is moving. The Holy Spirit is conquering. We may feel like demons are dominant, but the Holy Spirit is conquering. Jesus is listening. Your miracle is coming. Our redemption is coming. Our revival is coming. Our victory is coming. Victory is assured. Y'all, this fight is fixed. Y'all, all we got to do is stay in the ring. This fight is fixed. The parade is already planned. Hold on to the end. Hold out. Hold up. Keep praying because God's people will be victorious. So just let's, let's keep going forward. Let's keep going forward. God tells Moses there's but one thing for you to do is get up and go forward. Let's go forward. Let's make this thing right, y'all. Can we fix it? Can we fix it? Well, maybe not, but I believe God can. And I believe we partner with God. I believe we partner with God. This stuff can be dealt with. Let's, let's look at, let's look at a, a few more things as we, we have about, about 25 minutes left. Um, we talked a little bit about this already. Let me go forward. Um, what I want you to do is, if you can't stand on your feet for a minute, I tell you, I need you to move around a little bit. Find five or six people, maybe seven or eight people. Um, mix up the groups as much as you can. And, and just, I want you to talk about this right here. Once you get in your group, introduce yourself to folks. Tell them, hello, my name is. Yeah. Humpty. Pronounce with an umpty. Tell everybody your name. There you go. All right. Here's your question. You got like, again, you got like one minute. These are quickies. One minute. <laughs> oh, let me edit that. Um, these are short. What negative narratives have you heard about Churches of Christ? And if you're not intimately connected to the churches of Christ, what negative narratives have you heard about church? <laughs> what negative narratives have you heard about church?
What negative narratives that mean? If it's not Church of Christ, about church. Because believe me, every movement got some negatives. I don't know what church Christ that is. <laughs> 30 seconds. Twenty seconds. Ten seconds. They just left. All right, that's time. If you can hear me, clap your hands. If you can hear me, clap your hands three times. If you can hear me clapping half four times. Somebody can't, wait, what? <laughs> Question number two. What negative narratives have you repeated about churches of Christ or about churches? Or what negative narrative have you repeated? You may begin. <laughs> What have you tweeted? <laughs> what have you, what have you status on Facebook? What have you Instagrammed? That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you can hear me, clap your hands. If you hear me, clap your hands five times. Hey, man, somebody can't clap. Can you, if you can't hear me, clap your hands ten times. Hear you, please. All right. Here's your next question. What's the most dysfunctional thing you've ever witnessed in the church? <laughs> Be as specific as you like. Okay, that's time. Do you need a few more, few more seconds? Is that a yes or a no? Need a few more seconds? All right, take 30 more seconds. Those who are right in the middle of the story.
Okay, that's time. If you can hear me, clap your hands one time. Clap your hands two times. Clap your hands one time. Clap your hands three times. Say ho. <laughs> okay, just sit right with your group. Sit down where you are. Just If you can, just stay with your group. Sit down where you are. We got about 20 minutes left. Um, I'm going to get us as close to finish as, as. Did you guys enjoy kind of discussing that, though? Yeah, it's, it's kind of enlightening than, than you know, I, I, I believe that all of us have something to offer. All right, so talk a little bit about denominationalism. Um, probably not going to say what you think I'm going to say, but I'm going to talk a little bit about, just a little bit about denominationalism. We can't stay there much. Um, here's a quick definition of denominationalism. Devotion to do denominational principles or interests, the emphasizing of denominational differences to the point of being narrowly exclusive, sectarianism. Um, um, what I want to say, and I'm not going to stay here for long, we just don't have time. I believe, I believe the vast majority of our arguments um, in church, especially in Church of Christ, um, is because of denominationalism. Um, and here, here's what I mean. Um, we, we are a group founded on principles of, of trying to um, at least in some way restore the primitive church, whatever that means to you. I think we have thousands of years of denominationalism to deal with. And because of these superstructures, we suddenly have certain problems. Let me, I'm going to give you, for instance, I'm not going to, this is the only for instance I'm going to give you. The gender equity kind of issues we have in the Church of Christ. Um, I really think, um, now I'm, I'm, listen, I'm an old school guy. I believe the Bible says what it says, so I'm not that guy. Um, the Bible says what it says. Have no problem who, who it hurts. But I think our problem is, is once we set up these hierarchical kind of superstructures in churches, all of a sudden the ideas of submission, et cetera, become blurred and consumed in our hierarchical stuff. What I mean is this, is that, uh, per, okay, take the room we're in now. This is kind of a Greco-Roman setup, you, it's, except the pulpit is not raised. But you have people sitting here, and usually the pulpit will be raised. So now all of a sudden you got somebody, authority, and other folks, right? Well, think about primitive Christianity. Think about the first century church. The vast majority of their gatherings were folks in a house sitting around. All right, now say you have preacher, elder, members. Or say, say you have the same kind of a, what I think are functions in the body, right? You got some dude talking. Now say if, if I'm, I'm speaking, I, you know, God's giving me the, the gift or I'm, I'm chosen here to, to, to be the speaker. We're sitting around talking, I'm, I'm giving the word, right? And my wife is there, right? And my wife decides, you know, uh, my wife uh, has been studying herself, I've been listening to me, and, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, something good comes to her. The Spirit of God gives her something good. We're sitting around, and she says something. No one's in an uproar. No one's got a problem. No one's tripping. Y'all following? Okay, now once you start putting these structures, now you got to start making these structures line up with biblical principles, and now you got issues. Or say it's, and, and, and well, they ran into this themselves, but say, say now you're, you're in the home, and, and it's time for worship, and everybody's sitting around together. Now the home structure uh, may have had servants, which we would have called slaves. They, it wasn't American slavery, but they were still slaves. But, but now they're all sitting around at the table. Because they're sitting around and they're passing communion. They got following things going on. It's, it, now, now I don't have to put, put some line down the middle of the church so black folk can sit over here and white folk can sit over here. And I really think if we start to delve into this idea um, of, of what the church is, y'all, listen, I'm not anti-structures. I'm really not. I'm anti-elevating structures over Jesus and over the word. Okay, really, I mean, if you want to have a high liturgical structure, I have no problem. Listen, do your thing. What I'm saying is once you start saying, that, therefore, this is what God means and wants of the church, it, it denominationalizes the church. And suddenly, now we got to fight over stuff. I, I just really believe that. That's, that's one of the things I believe. And I'm an old school dude. I'm that guy. <laughs> one church. I believe we should have one church. I'm that guy. But I also believe that the sovereignty belongs to Jesus and not to Faith Hager the third. That he is Lord. I'm not Lord. And he is the head, right? I just do what he says do. I don't even give my opinion in it. 
Are you following? That's all I'm going to say about the We just don't have time. Division. Division. The action of separating something into parts or the process of being separated. Two, disagreement between two or more groups typically producing tension or hostility. Um, I was going to have you do this in group work, but I'll have some more group work a little later. I just want to talk talk big group about this. Um, this is a fact, y'all, in, in this. And, it's, and this is, and I'm not that guy who likes to put down the, the Church of Christ. I'm the cheerleader for the Church of Christ. Um, but neither am I a person who likes to ignore our stuff. Right? Um, and we have a peculiar problem. It ain't all, only our problem. But it, it's peculiar to us, um, this African-American white thing, um, and the reason being is because really in our movement, what we call the African-American churches, the black churches, and the white churches are kind of the same movement. They're really more concurrent movements on purpose. Um, if, if, you, if you look into to restoration history, the restoration history for predominantly predominantly white movement and predominantly black folk are not the same. Our heroes are not even the same. They're just not. This is not me trying to separate the church. Again, folks who know me know I am pro us getting together. I am pro us having relationships. I make sure I am pro that. Um, I make sure that I develop relationships, not just token relationships with folk who don't look like me on purpose. So I'm not that guy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I can't ignore the truth. The fact is, if you start to go back and read Lipscomb, et cetera, the level of racism is amazingly abominable. I mean, it's wow. But in our movement, the great thing about those guys, though, even though they were, many of them, not all of them, but many of them were racist and were in a racist culture, they also cared about folk going to heaven. Really, they, they was like, hey, you can't come to worship with me, but neither do I want you to go to hell. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is going to baptize a lot of y'all and give y'all your own thing. Right? Right? Now, even that, it, it became sideways because you had the white elders on one side of the city controlling the black church on the other side of the city. And so it got kind of sideways. But they did want folks to go to heaven, and I am appreciative of that. Now, watch this, though. So now you have two streams. Right today, if I started naming the heroes I grew up believing in um, as far as, uh, uh, not Jesus, of course Jesus, I'm saying the heroes of the movement, many of y'all don't know these dudes. My preacher, Aaron Hogan, you know, Dr. Jack Evans, you know, J.S. Winston, you know, these are the guys who, who, who you know, um, G.E. Stewart, you know, Marshall Keeble, you know, th these are the guys who, who I grew up, Billy Washington. These are the guys who grew up as my heroes. Now, I knew peripherally of guys like Jimmy Allen or going back further like Alex Kevin Campbell because we, we learned it in school, you know, Thomas Campbell, John Raccoon Smith. Those, I mean, we, we learned about those dudes in school, but peripherally I knew guys, you know, like uh, 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 Bonowski and those, I knew those guys peripherally, but those weren't my heroes. As a matter of fact, when I was younger, a uh, young preacher, me and, me and Dave, Dr. Holmes had to leave, but uh, is he, she still there? I think he had to leave. He had to step up. Well, I know he, he has to interview some folks today. Um, so, so we would come to Pepperdine when I, we, were, we started preaching really early, like 15, 16 years old. We would come to Pepperdine to the lectures then and be sitting in the office ticked off. Not because it's full of white folks. That didn't bother us at all. What bothered us is that we'd hear a sermon full of Thomas Campbell this and Alexander Campbell, that, and we're like, who are these dudes first? And when are we going to get to the Bible? Because <laughs> if you know anything about the black churches, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> Book, <laughs> chapter, <laughs> and verse. That's what we do. Give me some Bible. Um, but see, though, they, they were resonating with it because those were their heroes. They understood. So our, 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 our movements kind of developed like that. We had our own conferences. They had their conferences. We had our own retreats. They had their retreats. We had the, our lectures, their own lectureship. The, I mean, the, we, they had their schools. We had our schools. 
And that's how it develops. And so that's peculiar kind of to us. Now, of course, there's a lot of movements that got racist issues. I mean, if you, if you, if you look back at Southern Baptists, I mean, you know, <laughs> them dudes were like, y'all ain't even human. And I can prove it by the mark of Cain. I mean, it was <laughs> some deep stuff going on. I mean, so we're not the only people with problems. But we did. We had a concurrent movement. And so that's why I ask this question. When you talk about how divided we are. Now, we got other divisions. Amen, anyhow. Uh, <laughs> um, what has been your experience with different races? Because that's going to inform whether or not uh, how, how we're going to be able. I'll start. I can't stay on here too long. I'll start. Let me give you some of my experiences. I'll give you some of my positive ones. Um, one of the best people in the world that I know, one of my best friends, a guy named Alan Tremble. I don't know if y'all know Alan. Um, he is an elder at the Park Church of Christ in Oklahoma. Um, he is a, <laughs> a legendary football coach. Uh, not being hyperbolic. I mean, he's, he's won like 17 state championships. I mean, something ridiculous, vulgar number <laughs> of killing people for years and years. Um, and he is one of my best friends in the world. Right now, Alan is very, very sick. He's very sick, and praying for him. I ask you to pray for him. But one day he, he heard me preach here at, at, at Pepperdine. He walked up and he said, brother, would you, would you come to Oklahoma? <laughs> I said, sure, why not? And that started a friendship. He would call me. He would pray for me. I, he would call me to pray for his, his uh, players. I would call him when I was having church struggles. We'd call to just talk. Um, we would eat together. We just became friends. We would debate, you know, Lakers and Oklahoma, and, it, and they loved it. You know, we were in down seasons, you know, and I would say, don't talk to me till y'all win something. <laughs> <laughs> but we became great, great friends. And I got that story a lot. My, one of my best friends um, is here. He just came back from Greece. His name is Andy Wall. I don't know if you guys know Andy. Um, I got lots of uh, friends who happen to be white who are not tokens in my life um, who are just my friends. Right. Um, I got some bad experiences, too. Some bad experiences. When I was a kid, I was riding my bike down the, I got a lot of these, stories. I'll just give you this one. I was riding my bike down the L.A. Canal. They call it the L.A. River, but you know, it's not a river, it's a canal. <laughs> riding on, and this, and this white man and his kids were riding their horses. And he took his horse and knocked me off my bike. And then started calling me all kind of racial slurs. That's just one of many I could tell you. I got some in the church too. I'm not going into all of them, but those are some of my experiences with race. When you're talking about whites and blacks. I got, I got experiences with, with Mexican folks too. I live around, Me and it's crazy thing about, I've been living around Mexican folks all my whole life. Um, we never had this stuff, the, the, the beef that's going on with, with blacks and Mexicans sometime now. We didn't have any of that. All of us grew up together. So I've, I've had a lot of experience with people of different races. So if one or two people can share, what have been your experiences with race? It could be in the church or just your personal experiences because that's going to inform how quickly we can get rid of some of these divides. Yes, ma'am. In the county? Okay. Yeah, I don't want to come to your town. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's heavy. Right here. Overall, I think that 
Can y'all hear him? You got to stand up. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, you got to stand up and speak a little loud. Can y'all hear him in the back? Oh, no. You got to stand up. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, Jasper, Texas, um, and what happened 20, 21 years ago. Um, uh, so those who don't know, James Byrd, Dragon Death, things like that. Yeah, 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 so uh, uh, that was in my hometown. So uh, hearing that, knowing that, uh, knowing that that was there in the town, uh, but Jasper before that was known as a football town. Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, I believe that there was a, a law in the city that every able-bodied male had to play football. So, <laughs> of course, we did. And during football season, we were the kings of the town. Uh, but then outside of that, we had our – there's those race issues. Yeah. Uh, but even through school and through all that, I made it a point uh, to be that rebel, to have friends from different, uh, different races, different cultures, and I've carried that on uh, even into our, our, our life today, my wife and I. Uh, we raised our children that way. Uh, our, our two kids are going to, we, we made sure that they were able to feel comfortable in whatever culture or whatever setting that they're in. Our daughter, is, who's in college now, uh, has friends uh, from all different, uh, yeah, we call her friends the Rainbow Coalition, um, and what she does, and our son, who's going to college, same thing. Uh, so been a pretty positive experience, but there is those negative, and it's taught me how to navigate through those different areas and, and in those different environments. Uh, so I can get a sense of when I am not welcome in certain areas. Give him a hand. We, we, I'm sorry, we, we're almost done. Um, I got to rush to the end. I have really enjoyed being with you today. Um, let me rush to the end. We, just, we have two minutes. That's the only reason I'm rushing, because I, I think these kind of conversations are helpful. Um, but I, I got, we got to go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> dirty bath water. I couldn't. I can decide which which which, which picture I like the best. <laughs> I use both of them. Dirty bath water. Don't throw the baby out with the bath water. It's an idiomatic expression for an avoidable error in which something good is eliminated when trying to get rid of something bad, or in other words, rejecting the favorable along with the unfavorable. It's a German. It, it's an old old German statement. And I was going to try to say that if somebody can speak German, I, that's something. <laughs> but it, that's where it comes from. This is the original plate. Huh? Somebody knows? Some trickly. Some trickly. <laughs> well, um, I was, was going to talk about some of the babies we've thrown out, you know, some of the good things we should have kept. We got one minute, though. Again, I tell you, we ain't going to finish. But I did want to at least show it to you. <laughs> Some thi okay, and when you talk about church, when we talk about us coming together to do some things, sometimes, um, and I'm not talking about Church of Christ, and I'm talking about in church. Um, sometimes we end up throwing out things that are biblically or spiritually necessary in order to do stuff, and it doesn't work. It makes us not church. It makes us something we're not. I got one minute, y'all. I, I do want to get your questions. Just can't. Sorry. Um, we're going to talk, talk about devising a plan. I would have done a little exegesis here. Um, we need to love one another. We've got to learn to forgive, and I was going to stay here a long time. We've got to learn to forgive one another. I want to say, tell you something about biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness, there's a couple of facets I'm going to just tell you too. Facet number one, biblical forgiveness always takes sacrifice. And it's sacrifice from the forgiver more so than the forgiven. Secondly, biblical forgiveness means somebody really did do you wrong. 
You're not forgiving them for kindly doing you something wrong. Yeah, and you're releasing them from that. You're releasing them from, from that. I don't believe in forgive and forget. What it means is that you no hold them responsible for what they've done. You give them opportunity to rebuild relationship, forgiveness. I really want to talk about this because it's hard to forgive when you don't know you are forgiven. <laughs> we need to unify. We need to fellowship. We need to make friends. Make friends. And I was going to do this thing called the, anybody ever seen this before, the four helpful list? This is awesome. And I don't have time, sorry. Come up to me after to talk to me about it, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it to you. Then we're going to worship together a little bit, but we can't. <laughs> I just want to leave you with this. Y'all, can y'all keep loving? Love will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. God bless y'all. You'll have an awesome day.